Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the big Sam to my Marcello Bielsa. It's just a Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm good. I feel energised today. I did a, I did a cold plunge, um, which is obviously when you go into really cold water for a duration of time. And I, and I feel good. Obviously, we're recording a little bit later today and I feel like it set me up very nicely for it. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Well, you say we're recording a little bit later. This is the latest I think we've ever recorded, isn't it? We've we've never done a night record, but we are doing this fresh off the back of the Huddersfield game, which has massive, massive implications, doesn't it, Justin? But, you know, recording straight off the back of it, it's uh, off the cuff, this, isn't it? It's, it's as instant reaction as you'll get, so... You know, things may be very fresh for us, which is probably a first. We usually have a bit of time to simmer on it, a little bit of a little bit of time to create a narrative and form agendas against teams. Today, tonight, we don't. We're no. fresh. No, we haven't had time to form those agendas. So these, this is going to be an agendaless episode for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, as we say, we'll talk about that Huddersfield v Sheffield United game, which has massive implications at the bottom of the championship, which you may very well be aware of already heading into this podcast. We'll also talk about the two games from Monday night as well. We'll also make our predictions for the playoff race heading into the final day, because that still needs to be sorted, ladies and gentlemen. And there is a lot of teams that need sorting out amongst that lot and then we'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days as well so Reading have been relegated to League One it's after Huddersfield beat Sheffield United 1-0 thanks to a wonder goal by Danny Ward it's cruelly denied us Huddersfield v Reading on the final day loser gets relegated which would have been box office, but I suppose that goal makes up for it because it was a real beauty, wasn't it? Huddersfield were great here, though, weren't they? They defended so resolutely. Sheffield United had a lot of the ball and the players were moving around all over the place to try and stretch Huddersfield, make something happen. At one point, George Bordock was on the left wing, despite him being at right wing back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Jebison had a good few chances in the first half, but apart from that, not much else for the Blades, who just could not find their way through a very stubborn Huddersfield town, Justin. I think it epitomised Neil Warnock's spell at Huddersfield. Obviously, there have been moments where they've they've been really, really poor, but the fact that they've been able to, they've, they've maintained that work rate, they've maintained that philosophy of just grafting and being organised and pressing man-to-man, um, I think has really pushed them over the line. And whilst Huddersfield haven't been poor defensively throughout the season... Um, they have been okay. They've been you know, fairly average defensively, but they just haven't been creating or scoring chances or playing to any play strengths. Neil Warnock's come in and, and done that. We've mentioned Josh Karoma, for example. Hungbo's been Joseph Hungbo has, has been fantastic, um, but they've got a lot of hard-working players. They've 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 brought those in over the years under Carlos Corbin. You need to in that system, and it's paid dividends for Warnock here. And I think this game showcased just how hard they're willing to work. Um, to, to graph games out and fair play to them I, I had them down and out back in March um, and Neil Warnock as I said at the weekend has pulled off one of the, the, the greatest escapes I've, I've witnessed covering the championship it's been brilliant and yeah you're absolutely right Justin he, he has pulled off another miracle Neil Warnock has done it again the man is a genius isn't he <laughs> I 
never thought Huddersfield would stay up at one point. I thought they were so dead and buried. I thought the coffin was closed. I thought the soil was all over the top of that coffin. And that was it. All the mourners had gone home as well. That was it. I, I remember, and I keep I keep going back to this, but there was a journalist, I forget his name, who's, who covers Huddersfield Town, said Huddersfield were relegated yeah. Yeah, yeah. not too long ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's as far gone that as Huddersfield were and it just never looked like they were going to get out of it despite Neil Warnock being there so for them to get to the stage where they have stayed up with a game remaining is remarkable this squad is poor for me it's probably a bottom three squad yet Neil Warnock has done what he has done so many times now and even I thought at one point this job would be too much for him I thought it'd be too far a bridge for him to get across and he's done it it's just about getting that spirit, that team spirit back into the players, making them play for each other, make, make them run their socks off. And that that's that goes a long way, doesn't it? And it's, it's, it's actually remarkable, actually remarkable, isn't it, how he's managed to keep this team up. Yeah, and that's in the midst of all of the off-field issues that have been ongoing throughout the season as well. Obviously, there's there's been light at the end of that tunnel, but that's going to have a huge impact on the team. It's going to have a hangover, you'd imagine, on, on the on the playing squad. They've been dealt with you know, a number of injuries. You've got Matty Pearson. Another big reason as to why Huddersfield has survived has been the impact of Matty Pearson in that defence because it's a cliche, but he has been like a new signing. But he's, but he's brought so much more than that. They look more solid, they look more organised, look more composed defensively. And obviously he's been a big threat from set pieces, which has been massive. So... That quality, that that great determination. They've got the players for it. Can they sustain it over another forty-six game season? I don't think they can. If they maintain the squad that they've got now, they almost certainly will be looking at another relegation fight next season. But as I was saying, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There's new ownership. There's there's something to build on here. Could we see one more year from Neil Warnock? Fans were chanting that during the game. One more year, Warnock. One more year. I think they were chanting. So, yeah. I'd like to see it. I'd also like to see him retire just because he deserves it. And you'd like to go out on a high like he has today. But yeah, remarkable achievement and certainly one of his best. Again, up there with the promotions, surely, because his team was down and out. Yeah, maybe we'll have more of an in-depth look at Huddersfield next season uh, on the final day episode. But let's talk about the flip side of this situation, Justin. We're going to be saying goodbye to Reading. A side who have been a bit of a mainstay in the championship for many years now, haven't they? But are going to be playing in League One for the first time since 2002 next season. Where's it all gone wrong, Justin? Where's it gone wrong? It's very easy to point the finger at some really bad spending, some really bad mismanagement at the top Um, and um, a reluctance to change manager when they needed to when when the time was was right to do it it seemed like they knew the six point deduction would be incoming because of Mark Bowen saying that they needed to sell players to to avoid it so it felt like they knew that was coming so really they should have known that Paul Lynch wasn't the man to lead them lead them out of that uh, that dire situation they were in um, and there were some really good managers available at the time as well but nonetheless that didn't happen Going back years and years and years, they were one of the teams like Derby who were spending recklessly and that downward spiral has led to what they have. Without the six-point deduction, they'd be safe, am I right in saying? Just going to double-check the table to make sure they will be right. at the time of recording, but of course there's that final game which may yeah. change things. 
but they'd have more than likely been in a much healthier position um, just because you'd expect the points deduction to really um, deliver a blow to morale in that team. Um, so you can see the impact that that's had as well. So it's very easy to point the finger at the ownership. The ownership is the is the issue, the lack of organisational structure. Hopefully they're in good hand under Mark Bowen running the team, uh, running the club, sorry, um, as the director. So fingers crossed that that is the big difference going forwards. They needed a reset. They needed a reset for a long time and hopefully this this proves to be it. It's just a shame that it's in League One. Well, it's easy to forget how well they started this season. Yeah. They were set in the top six after 14 games and after the Boxing Day round of games, they were set eighth. But they've had a collapse this calendar year similar to that of QPR. Haven't won since February. They've only won one point on the road in 2023, which is you're not going to be going, you're not going to be getting very far with that kind of a waveform, are you? It's quite sad, really, that it's got to this point, and it's quite sad the thing that could ultimately send Reading down is a points deduction. Having said that, it would also sum up why they're relegated. Serious mistakes at the top have finally come back to haunt them. Years of ridiculous overspending. At one point, they were paying four times as much on wages as they were getting in income. And they've spent a number of seasons now trying to get back to some sense of normality. But that overspending is the reason why they had a business plan, why they've had a transfer embargo. It's ultimately left the squad in a state that's not very good because they haven't been able to bring players in. And the ones they have been able to bring in have been loans and free agents for a number of seasons now. People will point the fingers at Paul Ince, but in the circumstances... I think he did all right because he did essentially have one hand tied behind his back and the other hand snapped in half. At the end of the day, Reading are in the same category as your Derby's Sheffield Wednesdays. They gambled on getting promotion and now it's bitten them on the arse. All three of those teams gambled on getting promoted. They're possibly all going to be in League One next season. Uh, how do you think Reading will do in League One next season then, Justin? I puff my cheeks out as you say that, mainly because who knows? You look at Sheffield Wednesday, they they had a big reset when they were relegated to League One. took them a year to get into a position where they are now. I mean, they're still finishing the playoffs. It's the same thing with Derby. Derby have a chance of finishing the playoffs at the time of recording as well. Um, So whilst those first seasons have been relative successes, they've not been guaranteed successes. The thing that Reading need to do is lay down some really solid foundations. They've got a good, they've got a good academy. They've always had a you know a good academy that has produced some really good players over the years. Build the squad around that, like Derby have, um, and then hopefully they have the sort of budget um, in place to be able to recruit relatively extensively because they're going to need it. I wouldn't want Andy Carroll in my team next season because you be you become a, a typecast team where you just play to his strengths which is what one of the issues I think has been persistent with Reading over the last sort of three or four months they've got someone like Tom Ince I think he's under contract beyond next season I think he's on a three year deal when he just joined mm. actually so he he's, you know, he's going to be a good asset in, in, in League One certainly is and then there are, there are other really good players in that squad it's going to be another competitive division next season I would expect at least a top six finish should they be able to recruit well but again, there are a lot of teams down there and it's such a difficult league to predict because teams come out of nowhere. You look at Plymouth this season, for example. Brilliant season. So 
maybe a, a top six finish, but I could also see them staying down in League One for a long time. I'm not sure how Reading will get on, to be honest. There's no manager and I have no clue who's going to be staying or going. Lucas Schau, Yaku Meite, Ovi well, they'll almost, almost certainly leave all of them. I imagine there'll be plenty of others too. Having said that, some of their players could be brilliant in League One. Imagine Andy Cowell against the likes of Burton no. and Port Vale. He could have a field day, Justin. You roll your <laughs> eyes, but I mean, he's been very effective in the championship this season. Sure, the Route One style under Paul Ince may have had quite a detriment, detrimental effect against them, but he could have a field day playing against some League One defenders. Tom Ince has been great this season. You've got Tom Holmes and Tom McIntyre, two young lads who are reading through and through and have proved to be quite solid at championship level as well. So a lot depends on who they manage to get to stick around and perhaps most importantly of all, who they get in as manager. They haven't got a transfer embargo anymore after this season, so that's a good start. Hopefully they don't make the same mistakes as before so they can close that chapter and move on. Whether that's the case with the current owners, not too sure, but we'll wait and see. League One's, of course, a difficult league to get out of. You only have to ask Ipswich and Portsmouth fans about that one. So, But with the right approach, it can be overcome. And we have seen some teams in recent years bounce back at the first time of asking. But, you know, you've got to be prepared for that step down to League One to do that and whether how prepared Reading are, I don't know. <laughs> Rotherham, they secured their safety with a 1-0 win over Middlesbrough on Monday. Uh, Michael Carrick's side were down to 10 men for half the game after Anthony Dyke steel was sent off in injury time of the first half. Not a barnstormer of a game in any sense. It was a scrappy first half when Middlesbrough had 11 men, so imagine what it was like after that. Middlesbrough have known that they're going to be competing in the playoffs for quite some time, but they've had a bit of a concerning drop-off, haven't they? Two wins from seven. It's their worst run since Michael Carrick came in. And it's not. It's a bad time for it to happen, isn't it, Justin? You need to be gathering momentum. Uh, I mean, if results aren't uh, if, if results aren't getting on the board, then at least performance have, performances have got to be there. And I don't think they have been. They have been... They have been uh well, what's the word I'm looking for? I wouldn't say poor, but they've they've underwhelmed. Um they've not they they set some really high standards for themselves and they failed to replicate those. Granted they've had a lot of injuries, but this is a time of the season where you need to be going in in really good fashion. You look at Luton, for example, who have had a decent run of form going into it. Sunderland could be coming into the playoffs off the back of a very good run of form. Similar, similar with Coventry as well. So there are teams that have got momentum that Middlesbrough don't, and the performance like this against Rotherham, who you know, if you're Middlesbrough, you want to go to a team that is in the bottom six and expect to win. Didn't really feel like that was the case. It just felt like they weren't, I wouldn't say performing or up for it, but Rotherham, they, it's cliche, but they it looked like they wanted it more. They needed it more. They did need it more because they needed the the, the points to stay up, and they deserved the win because they were they were the better side in what was a poor game. Well, I've done some digging on how much form matters heading into the playoffs. And if I was a Middlesbrough fan, I'd probably be covering my ears at this point. <laughs> so they've won seven points from their last 16, six games. Keep in mind, they have got one game remaining, but the point remains. You have to go all the way back to 2012-13 
for a team winning the playoffs with form comparable to that of seven points from six games. Crystal Palace won it, having also only won seven points from their final six games. However, that was 10 years ago. Since then, no one comes close to that tally. And in fact, since the 2014-15 season, every team who's won the playoffs has won at least four of their final six games, which Middlesbrough can't do even if they beat Coventry on the final day. So I would be worried if I was a Middlesbrough fan. I'm not saying they should be completely ruled out. Of course not, because when Middlesbrough turn it on, they really turn it on and are probably on a comparable level to Burnley when they're on song. We have to keep in mind as well, they have had a, quite a few injuries. Some of these players could very well, very well be back for the playoffs. So they'll unquestionably need to play better than they have been, is the main point. It's a great achievement for Rotherham to secure safety there, isn't it? We've got to remember, they haven't got a big budget. It's one of, if not the smallest in the division, and they've been relegated in their last three championship seasons. They're two of the main reasons why a lot of people predicted them to go down again this season, of course. But Matt Taylor has done fantastically well since coming in. Antti Rotherham could have very easily folded after Paul Warren left, losing a manager who's been there for six years. Will undoubtedly impact a lot of things at that club. And I think Taylor's gone in and not changed a huge deal, which is probably what Rotherham needed, right? It's it's by no means the most talented side in the world, but everyone there works their socks off for each other and they know how to grind out results. No team has drawn more games than them. It's not going to create headlines, but <laughs> safety was ultimately the goal this season and they've achieved it. And I imagine those draws have gone a long way to doing that. They're sat 19th. If they finish anywhere above 21st, it'll be their highest league finish in nearly two decades. So... I think Rotherham can look at this season and say it's been a great success. The question is now, Justin, can they build upon it or are Rotherham destined to be bouncing between the Championship and League One for the rest of time? It's a really good argument to to, to create because if you look at Coventry when they first came up, they secured relegation with two, or th- uh, sorry, secured um, staying up with two or three games to go against Rotherham, no less. Leo Ossegaard scored that, uh, scored that header. Um, and they built upon it. They had a very good season the next season. They defied those who said they would go down, like us. And now look at them. They are fighting for the top six. It just proves if you get your recruitment right and you have a good setup and a good coach, then you can be extremely competitive in this league. Now, I'm not suggesting that Rotherham will turn into promotion contenders or player contenders, but this should serve as a very nice steady rock solid platform for them to build on I look at Jordan Hugo and if he can get going and rekindle his form that he showed at Preston and QPR and be more prolific and take his chances more often then he'll be a very good asset to this team he's got 5 and 17 and he's been a big reason as to why rather than a stayed up so there's someone there you can build around Ogbeni may or may not leave Wes Harding may or may not leave with contracts coming to an end this season but they've got a very very competitive squad they've proved that it's just about building upon it whether Matt Taylor is the right man to do that and be a little bit more progressive as he was with his Exeter team, defied the odds of his uh, with Exeter as well. Don't see why you can't do the same with Rotherham. I think there'll be, I think it'll be a more competitive league next season. So it'll be interesting to see what Rotherham do in the summer and who they recruit and who they replace those outgoing players with. But Coventry should serve as the key sort of um, 
but not um, what, what's the word I'm looking for inspiration for yeah template for them to, to build up on because they proved it with a bottom five budget that they can improve season upon season well Luton are, are in the same boat as well exactly. aren't they yeah. the issue is Rotherham have had quite a few chances now to try and build themselves into a stable championship side but they just haven't been able to do it and the budget is a pretty good excuse but Coventry and Luton are showing that that's not necessarily as big a barrier as people might think. So Rotherham have certainly got to take this as kind of a stepping stone to bigger things, haven't they? But whether they can or not, I'm not totally convinced right now. But only time will tell, really. Blackburn kept alive their playoff hopes with a one-all draw against Luton on Monday. Hayden Carter with a late equaliser. His first ever goal for Blackburn. Some time to get it. If he didn't score it, they'd have been virtually out of the playoff race. Not mathematically, but it would have been pretty much impossible for them to actually do it. Sammy Schmodix nearly scored a goal of the season contender in injury time for Blackburn. Smashing it against the bar on the volley. That was one of those moments where you're watching the telly on your own and let out an audible moan <laughs> when you see it happen because that was a that was extraordinary. This was the eighth league game in a row that Blackburn have failed to win. It's their longest winless run of the season. And the thing is, if just one of those games was converted into a win, Blackburn could very well be sat in the top six heading into the final day. Instead, they're definitely heading into the final day as the big outsiders, aren't they? They absolutely are. And it's just those fine margins that I've spoken about in, in previous episodes that they're missing, that other teams have. Coventry have got Victor Giocarez. We've seen him be able to dribble into into positions, draw players out and, and, and square it or score. Players, other teams have got sparks that Blackburn don't have. And this game, again, proved that they had to score from a set piece. It was a brilliant delivery from Sorba Thomas. It was a brilliant header from Aidan Carter. But these are the games where you need sparks where you need that match winner to step up it's those tight games you need it in the playoffs as well and Blackburn just don't have it they've proved that they don't have it over the last few games as well I don't think it's a really you know a, a detrimental thing I still think Blackburn have had a good season it just looks worse because of the position they were in at the halfway point to what they are now nonetheless they've got a young squad I think John Dahl Thompson is the, is the is the right man they just need to recruit smartly in the summer I don't think I, yeah, I've been very disappointed with Ben Brereton Diaz as well. I think that needs to be said. He's, he's not impressed me at all over the last sort of seven or eight weeks. You need a big place to step up, and he hasn't. Bradley Dak as well is in that category. Other players have stepped up, but it's not been enough. Interestingly, you were just talking about the set piece goal then, Justin. Blackburn had the worst, uh, joint worst, I should say, record from scoring from set pieces this season. Luton had the second best record from defending set pieces this season so the fact Blackburn managed to score from a corner is probably not something many people would have expected from a stats point of view but you know that just shows that it does happen Luton know they're going to be finishing third they play Hull who have nothing to play for on the final day so everyone there can just have a nice time Justin let's take a quick break after that we'll do some predictions and make some guesses about who we think is going to finish in the playoffs on the final day. And then they'll also finish off with some of the news from the past few days. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. And now, this is it, ladies and gentlemen. 
the final day of the season is upon us. And it's time for Justin and I to get our asses off the fence and make some predictions. The small matter of the playoffs still needs to be decided. So let's dive right into it, Justin. Here's how it's looking for the playoffs then on the final day. Five teams still have work to do. Coventry a fifth on 69 points, Millwall sixth on 68 points, Sunderland a seventh, West Brom eighth, Blackburn ninth. Those three teams are all on 66 points. Coventry need to avoid defeat against Middlesbrough. If they lose, they need one of Millwall and Sunderland not to win. West Brom could also catch them, but they'd need a win and a five-goal swing. Millwall need to beat Blackburn. If they draw, they need Sunderland and or West Brom not to win. Sunderland need to beat Preston and hope Coventry lose or Millwall fail to win. West Brom need to beat Swansea and hope Millwall and Sunderland fail to win. They could, as I say, also catch Coventry or overtake Sunderland, but need quite a big goal swing in both circumstances. And Blackburn need to beat Millwall and hope Sunderland and West Brom fail to win. Got all that? Good. Only fitting that there's still numerous teams who can finish in the top six, considering it's been so tight all season. I remember at one point there was only something like four team, four points separating fifth and, I don't know, bloody 16th or something like that. <laughs> so it's, it's good that we've still got five teams who are battling out for two spots on the final day. They're really holding up the fort, aren't they, for the final day? Because I thought automatic promotion and relegation battle would still be up for grabs. But no, we've been let down in both those departments. But... Good on the playoffs. Which two teams are you going with, Peachy, and why? <laughs> which two times? Which two teams am I going with? Um, even when I was making my notes, I'm still humming and ahhing. Just reading my notes as you were going through that lengthy permutation uh, log, I'm still humming and ahhing. <laughs> it's impossible. I'm going to try it anyway. I think the two teams I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Middlesbrough. Sorry. Middlesbrough, definitely. Uh, I'm going yeah, to go with Middlesbrough. Have already got that sorted, mate. <laughs> I'm going to go with Millwall and Coventry. I'm going to make the case for Coventry first because I actually think they they're going to beat Middlesbrough. I know uh, Coventry fans will be wincing at the thought of me saying that because obviously my predictions are terrible. But if you just look at Middlesbrough at the moment, they are stumbling into the playoffs. They've not got a good run of form. Uh, I think the way that Michael Carrick plays is going to suit Coventry because Coventry are going to want to hit them on the counter-attack. So I think it's going to be at least a, a you know a decent point for Coventry. And I think things are going to go their way. But I'm actually more convinced that they're going to pick up a 1-0, 2-1 win against Middlesbrough. Millwall is, this, is the other team. I think neither team can afford to drop off Millwall or Blackburn. Blackburn have got to go for Millwall because they have got the minus goal difference. They are the massive rank outsiders. That's probably going to play into Millwall's hands a little bit. Nonetheless, even I think even if the game is on a knife edge, I think Millwall have got more quality to get the game over the line, if that makes sense. I mean, they've got, they've got the quality. They've scored the most from set pieces this season, for example. They can score out of the blue. They've got Zian Fleming who can... Uh, can create a spark he can shoot from 30 20 20 30 yards and 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 create something from there they've got more quality to do it whereas Blackburn as they've shown over recent weeks they don't they've got hope but I just think the game's going to open up for Millwall to 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 do them essentially as it will do for Coventry as well so I'm going for Coventry and Millwall but it's so tentative and I'm so you know I've still got splinters in my arse from sitting on that fence because I'm just leaning off it now just for the sake of the podcast (laughs) 
I'm glad you're putting the podcast ahead of uh, your arse in this case. Um, well, all you can do really is just take this situation on a game-by-game game basis. And with that being said, I think Sunderland will beat Preston. Preston are really crawling over the finish line this season, one point from four games. And interestingly, they've won eight games this calendar year, but they've all been against teams who are 16th or lower in the table. So Sunderland, meanwhile, have hit form at a great time. They're eight games unbeaten. They've also got the fourth best away record in the division. So I fancy a Black Cats win. That virtually rules out Blackburn and West Brom So from the equation, so we can ignore them. It leaves Coventry, Millwall and Sunderland. I find the Coventry and Millwall games really hard to call. Having said that, I think Millwall will struggle against Blackburn because their form has been very erratic recently and they've had some really poor results. Blackburn are a stubborn side and I reckon the most likely result from that game is a draw. That would be good enough for Coventry to get over the line, whatever the outcome of their match is. So unless they get absolutely battered by Middlesbrough, they should be all right. I mean, stranger things have happened on the final day, so can't rule out anything really. But I'll go for Coventry and Sunderland to finish in the top six and cap off brilliant seasons for both sides. And got to be said as well, both will be heading into the playoffs bang in form. So it'll be a it will certainly make it very interesting. And of course, both been in League One in recent years mm-hmm. as well, which yeah. uh, will show a rapid rise for both sides. Now it's time for the news. Here we go, and then we'll start off with former NFL star JJ Watts and his wife, who are investigate who are investing in Burnley. They say we understand not only are we investing in the squad and manager, we're investing in the town and its people. We take that responsibility very seriously and intend to work hard in earning their trust and support. Justin, I don't know much about JJ Watt as an NFL player. I'm not the biggest NFL fan, but I know he's rather well off, and hopefully this news is a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, it's cancel the podcast now. <laughs> uh, uh, no, JJ, what he was there? Uh, I can't remember what position he was, but uh, he played for the Cardinals, and I follow the Cardinals. I was wearing a Cardinals jumper just before recording, actually. So there's the link there. Um, sure you know what what position he plays in, then, don't yeah, you? Yeah, but I, I can't remember if it's linebacker or or safety. He got a lot of sacks, so he destroyed quarterbacks. Um, but I know some. Uh, some sweaty virgin's going to correct me at some point, aren't they? On the, on social, so I'm not. I don't want to commit to saying something I'm not entirely 100 sure on. Um, but he was a good player. I, I mean, I don't know how much percentage he is investing. It'd be funny if it was just like five percent, because running a football club and then funding a football club both very expensive things. Um, and as Rob McElhenney said, you need film star money, not TV money. And I imagine that's the same with athletes as well. So, I mean, fair play, he's investing a lot. He's interacted a lot with Burnley fans as well. So I've got a lot, you've got to give him a lot of credit for that. Um, and if it's going to increase the profile of Burnley in the US, then then great, it's a, it's a good move for, for all parties. Both Swansea's chief exec and head of football operations are set to leave their roles, according to Wales Online. It's as part of a shake-up at the club. There's going to be new investment at Swansea as well, isn't there? So it seems like this season has really rung people up the wrong way, if you know what I mean. Rub people mm-hmm. up the wrong way. And that's why 
things are starting to change at Swansea after what's been undoubtedly an underwhelming season, despite them being sat 10th in the table. I don't really know how they've ended up there, considering they've been... It feels like they've been bottom half for for the majority yeah. of the season in terms of how they've been playing. But yeah, seems like things are certainly a changing at Swansea City, and it's also changing quite a lot at Blackpool. Their chief exec Ben Mansford has left the club to pursue other opportunities. It now means they've got no CEO, no sporting director, no other board members left, no head coach. All starts to make sense why Blackpool got relegated this season. Like I said, it's it, the teams that are poorly run have gone down haven't they Reading we know they're poorly run they've gone down Blackpool whilst you've got to give some credit to the owner have made some really bad decisions they've gone down Wigan we know what we know the Wigan story and they've gone down as well so those three teams there's no surprise to to see them go down it's just the other teams for next season who are also in that category of being badly run might well be looking nervously over their shoulder going into the next campaign. Um, not going to point any fingers or name any teams, but I think the supporters know know, know who who they are. Well, I'll give give the listeners some clues straight away. Cardiff have got something like a hundred million pounds worth of debt. So if if we're basing relegation on how badly teams are run, then I think they'll be quite lucky in that regard. You've got Huddersfield, who's Lee Bombry, he's the sporting director in T, is that right? Or is he Just director of football? Technical director, head of football. He's yeah. boss of football. football he's boss. some sort of role at Huddersfield and he's been making clangor after clangor in terms of decisions this season. As I'd say, QPR fans not at all happy about how the club's being run. Birmingham fans don't know who owns the club. It's There's a lot of clubs down there who have been very poorly run, haven't they? I mean, Rotherham is the standout one as the one who haven't been poorly run but are still down there. But that's purely because they haven't got as much money as other championship sides. So, yeah, it's certainly been a bit of a competition in terms of relegation to not be as badly run as some other clubs. We'll make our predictions easier for next season. We can assure you of that. (laughs) Well, yeah, when, when you're basing predictions on how these teams are going to do next season you kind of have to look at how the club's being run because then they start to go on a direction, don't they? And that trajectory, which for a lot of clubs isn't great, isn't going to stop anytime soon unless there's some serious change behind the scenes. Cardiff chairman Mehmet Dalman has been addressing Sabri Lamouchi's future. He says what we will do is talk imminently to Sabri, ask how he sees things, listen to his feedback. He's greatly impressed us and I think he will stay. It comes to stays after Lamouchi says he's absolutely available to take the club into next season. I think we both said Mm. he should probably be the man to take them in charge of next season. I'm not convinced if he'll be a success because I keep having flashbacks to this spell at Forest where it all went completely wrong in the second half. But watch this space. The Athletic is reporting Watford's game on Monday will be Chris Wilder's last in charge. Not too surprising. This one will be interesting to see how quickly they move to get someone else in. May potentially be after that game. Who knows? Let's talk transfer news. Justin Footy Insider claims Burnley have joined the race to sign Victor Jokerez from Coventry. The big Swede has attracted plenty of interest from the Premier League with the likes of Everton and Wolves taking a particular interest. What do you think, Justin, of that move potentially to Turf Moor? I don't know if it soups. Um, I think any, any player... Of Gyokarez's calibre will suit quite a lot of teams, especially a team going up into the Premier League from the Championship. That being said, he's a ball carrier. 
and a lot of what Bernie doing in the company is very much pass and move and I, I don't think he's that sort of play he's not as clinical I, I think he's the best all round forward in the division by the way in the championship but I do think his finishing needs to improve so if Bernie are going to spend a chunk of budget on a player I think it should be on a player who has a better conversion rate than Giocares might sound harsh but I think Coventry fans may agree with me that he probably scores one in three, whereas Bernie will want to spend money on a player who scores one in two, for example. Just a just a just a thought. I think that's a bit harsh, Justin. Maybe, maybe, maybe he is. Maybe he's the is. second top scorer in the division. I mean, come on now. When you, if you're looking for strikers at this level who are as capable of fun in the back of the net as him, then you, you're going to be struggling, aren't you? I mean, the idea of this move gets me very excited. I think it would be exactly what Burnley need. A striker is, of course, top of the shopping list for them this summer. So why not get the best one in the league? For a newly promoted side, he's perfect. Burnley may have quite a few games where they're camped in their own half. Victor Jokeres is the kind of striker. Sorry, I've just punched my microphone in excitement. Victor Jokeres is the kind of striker who can you can ping the ball up to. He holds it up on the halfway line and starts a counter-attack on his own. Alternatively, if Burnley have got more of the ball than they would do against you know some of the big six sides, for example, then he's the kind of player who is capable of playing that passing kind of play because, I mean, he's got 10 assists mm. for the season for crying yeah, out loud. So he suits the Bernie style and he's only 24, which is still, he's still got a lot of growing room. So if Coventry don't go up, you could get him for what, I don't know, 25 million, I'm guessing. I would not be able to praise this move enough if it happens. Uh, Bristol City, or Bristol Live rather, say Bristol City are interested in bringing Joe Bryan back to Ashton Gate. Blackburn, Cardiff, Millwall, Stoke and Swansea are also said to be interested. The defender is out of contract this summer at Fulham. I didn't know he was on loan at Nice. That really surprised me when I saw that, but I mean, it would have been a great diddy or dinty, wouldn't he? Would it be a good signing for the Robins, Justin? It'd be a good signing for any championship team. Any, I think if, if you've got a big clubs coming down from the championship like even at Everton or a Forest or, or Southampton you'd be looking at signing someone of Joe Bryan's experience and calibre he's a very good defender he's very good he's very capable going forwards unlike a lot of wing backs going into the championship he's got a reliable end product as well I think you only got to look at that goal he scored in the, is it the League Cup for Bristol City against Manchester United? He's got a very good left foot. He scored in the playoff final against Brentford as well with that free kick. He's a he's a very capable player um, and one that probably deserves a, a you know a really good shot at Premier League football rather than dropping down into Championship. So with that logic, he'd be a very good signing for any team in the Championship. I'm not sure. He'd, I think Premier League might be a bit too far a stretch for him at this point, I but undoubtedly. In terms of experience and the the consistency that he's shown for many years now, he'd be, I'd agree with you, just in a very good signing for any championship side, really, whichever position in the table they are. Speaking of reunions, Reach are reporting Wigan are among the clubs interested in re-signing Nick Powell from Stoke. I've seen another report that they're looking to get Callum McManaman back. Really getting the old gangs back together, aren't they? Uh, the Athletic claims Blackpool's Charlie Patino is set to leave Arsenal permanently this summer. The 19-year-old wants regular first-team action and prefers not to be sent out on loan again. Be a very good signing for a championship side, wouldn't he? Bags of potential. 
I think if you put him in a team that is, you know, wanting to play progressive football, he'd certainly be a good addition. I think he's he's been a decent player for Blackpool, but he has struggled as well. But that's a struggling team with th- three different managers this season. So there's there's issues there. But certainly, yeah, he'd be a good pickup for a lot of teams. But as I say, you've got to be playing him in a in a team that wants to be on the ball very often, and that's going to protect him as well with runners around him. So. Yeah, certainly a good addition, but for the right team. And plus you get to do the chant if you sign him, which is obviously the biggest bonus of all. Jude Bellingham is set to move to Real Madrid, according to numerous reports. Now, you may be wondering, what's that got to do with the championship? Well, Birmingham City fans will be licking their lips because of the sell-on fee, which the Athletic claims is at least 5%. So the sets get a very healthy sum of money. Watch this space on that and maybe just keep an eye on how much money Real Madrid are willing to cough up for him. Chris Gunter has retired from football at the age of 33. The defender is in the top 10 for the most championship appearances ever with 429 second tier games under his belt. The most surprising here thing here is that he's only 33. I thought he must yeah. be getting towards 40. It feels like he's been around for ages. We also need to point out that he was the best seller of cheap fouls. There is not a better player, I think, in world football who could buy a free kick. So we salute you, Chris Gunter, for your dark arts. Yeah, I think Chris, Luke Hayling was uh, someone who was very good at that and still is very good at that. I'm looking forward to seeing that back in the Championship if uh, Leeds are relegated, the ailing flop. But I mean, Chris Gunter is kind of one of those who... Bit underrated, and the fact that he's played so many games at championship level is a bit of a shame, really, because I think maybe he could have had more of a go at Premier League level. Well, he's a fully well, a very reliable member of the Welsh Welsh team as well, which is is no is no short feat. So, yeah, a very consistent player. Probably, I think he's he's one of those fullbacks that's much better defensively and not as good going forward. It's probably held him back going into the Premier League. That being said, as you say, a lot of games played in the Championship only goes to show how consistent and reliable he was. So, yeah, shame he didn't, but Reading's, it was Reading's, uh, not achievement, but positive. I don't know what the word Game. is. It's too late now. Game. So late for me. <laughs> Big leader as well, wasn't he? He was, a, yeah. he was a, I think he was called up to the Wales squad, wasn't he, for the World Cup, despite, I don't think them ever having any intention to play him it's just about having him around the place because he's one of those characters also he's been a big servant for Wales over the years and finally Huddersfield's new owner has been spotted flying the flag for the Terriers this week Kevin M Nagel was watching basketball side the Sacramento Kings while wearing a Huddersfield town cap which is nice isn't it now that they're staying up it seems like got a brighter future ahead with this guy could be the start of a new era couldn't it he's also the most american looking bloke ever i I think i may have said that before but just search a picture of him he is very very american now it's time for this diddy yes sir you mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before yes it's time for diddy or didn't he for the final time This season, this is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week it's my turn to guess and Justin's turn to provide the players and clubs with the scores 136-132 to myself for the season. I secured the first ever Diddy or Dinty title a couple of weeks ago now, so... I'm just playing to increase my impressive winning margin at this stage. Therefore, Justin, 
Can I have the first player, please, for the final time this season? Lee Croft and Huddersfield. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Lone's Bell in 2010. Three appearances. Yeah, he looks vaguely like a very cool that. I mean, I don't recall him playing for Huddersfield, of course I don't, but I very vaguely recall that move happening. Yeah, you vaguely recall it, do you? Because you're such a championship genius, aren't you? Gary mm. Teal and Barnsley. Hmm. Uh, I'll go, yeah. This is the, the thing that pisses me off with this game, is you like to gloat, but there's not a thought behind those eyes into this at all. You're not an expert. You just The score, the score says you, very differently. <laughs> you're correct. You had a loan spell in 2008, three appearances. Two out of two. What a super start this is. Shefki Kucha in Crystal Palace. Yes. Are you convinced about that one? I'm, I'm pretty sure about that one. What's the spectrum? I'm pretty sure. Uh, I would say seven out of ten. For some reason, when I say Shevki Kucci, Palace are one of the first clubs I think of. Although he probably didn't play that much for them. You're correct. He plays for Palace. Eighty-three appearances across three years. But there you go. Then completely passed me by he cost him two and a half million obviously reckless spending that almost led to the ruin under Simon Jordan but he obviously yeah. won't let you believe that no but I, I, I recall him playing for Ipswich bizarrely Newcastle Derby Swansea. Swansea but Palace are one of the clubs I remember him playing for as well yeah. three out of yeah. three next one please Paul Dickov and Leeds ooh that's a good one Uh I mean, he's a very Leeds kind of player, isn't he? But I don't think so. He had a spell at the end of his career there. Three appearances in 2010. I think he was about 40 years old when he played for him. You know what? Fair play to you, Paul. You deserve it. You deserve that chance at Leeds. Three out of four. (laughs) He did, actually. He he is a very Leeds player, as you say. Next one is Neil Dans and Bristol City. Ugh. You say you say Jürg, but Neil Dan's arguably a very underrated player in Championship. Played for a lot of good teams. I think he flattered to deceive, really. Um, Bristol City, I don't think so. Uh, No, I don't think so. I'm taking your first answer. Uh, You're on, get a loan spell in 2012, 2013. Nine appearances, two goals. I reiterate, very underrated midfielder, I thought. Fair enough, Neil. You deserve that spell at Bristol City. Three out of five. <laughs> Next one is Alan Lee, the Flying Elbow, and Norwich City. <laughs> Alan Lee. Well, he's a bit of an Ipswich legend. I know that much. So I don't think he played for Norwich, but I might be very wrong. You are very wrong. Get a loan spell in two thousand nine. Seven appearances and two goals. Well done, Alan Lee. You deserve that spell at Norwich. <laughs> um, have you, are you trying to pull a, a little bit of a mind games thinky? All, all of them have been he did so far. Is that right? I don't know if it is or not. It sounds. It sounds like it is. I think it I've, is. I've, yeah. I've muddled my order as I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Three uh, out of six. The, the next one is Adam Forshaw and Wigan. Yes. Made that one up. Curses. So why did I think Curses. he did? Who am I thinking of? I might be getting Can't a bit too played for, actually. Um, well done, Adam, for sure. You didn't deserve that spell at Wigan. Because <laughs> um, it didn't happen. Three out of seven. Next one is Sam Johnston and Yeovil Town. Yes. 
Sure. For some reason, it's ringing a bell in my head, but he's also played for a lot of clubs. He's been loaned out quite a lot, hasn't he? Yeah, you are correct. He made one appearance in twenty one appearance in twenty fourteen on loan. Back when you were in the championship. Four out of eight. Yeah, it's weird to think they're in the championship, isn't it? They're what they're one of those clubs who have kind of going to the championship was kind of a bit of a, above their means, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And now you look at I mean Scunthorpe are a good example as well, South End. Look where yeah. those clubs are at well, now. A, cra- a crazy stat about Yeovil that season is they dropped points from leading positions in 25 games. They would have stayed up had they have been better at managing games, which I think is an absolute crazy one. What mm. a sliding doors moment for them. It's, it's going to be weird telling people in like maybe five or ten years' time that Yeovil were in the Championship. And it wasn't even that long ago, was it? it was Ten years was, ago. Yeah, ten years ago. Crazy. Um, is that the eighth one, four out of eight? That was the eighth one. Four out of eight. But it's a terrible finish for you. Uh, the next one, next player is Dan Byrne in Brentford. Uh, who's at Fulham? Don't think he played for Brentford, though. You're correct. I made that one up. Yeah. Did, did, did play so. for Yeovil, though. Did he? Yeah. There we go. Look at this Yeovil connection. Never thought we'd be giving them this much of a mention. In the podcast. And for the final Diddy or Dinty of the season, ladies and gentlemen, what is it, Justin? Ryan Fredericks and Millwall. Yes. Correct. 14 appearances on loan in 2014. Yeah. I've, one definitely, done, I've definitely ex- done that one at some point. Have you really? <laughs> one of only X amount of players to play for both Millwall and West Ham. There I don't you go. know how many players across, has crossed those borders, but he's one of the Six... Out of 10, and that means the final scores for the season, ladies and gentlemen, are 142-132 to myself. So a 10-point winning margin for me at the end of the season, Justin. How, how do you feel about that? I actually feel I'm, I'm happy with my score because I put a lot of care into my answers and thoughts. And <laughs> there was a lot of thinking behind it, whereas genuinely you just say yes or no. So I, I take solace in knowing that I am the bigger football championship expert. Can you keep going, please? Because I'm just trying to soak up all these tears that I'm, I'm getting here so I can drink them later in pure joy. No, you're already full on tears of angry, angry, agenda-filled supporters of, of their own clubs. I'm happy. As I say, I am the genius. I'll take it. I'll so take it. much bitterness. It's, it's palpable. <laughs> hey, well, that's been Diddy or Dinty. What a journey it's been this season. Will it return next season? Who knows? I sure don't. But we'll be sure to continue with games of some variety over the summer. I can assure you of that, dear listener. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. The final day of the season is upon us, ladies and gentlemen. Without a doubt, the biggest thing happening in the United Kingdom this weekend. The games are on Monday afternoon, so our next episode will be on Tuesday, reacting to all the ups and downs of the final day. We'll also do a bit of a mini playoff preview. And then next Thursday... It's the second tier awards. Team of the season, player of the season, manager of the season, all of the seasons will be revealed in a week's time. And I cannot bloody wait for that. But let's get the final day out of the way first, shall we? We look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you 